teach on eschatology. I'm not going to teach on eschatology. <laughs> but I just want to say a couple things before we get into our message, because people need to be aware. And, and if you're watching live stream, you can check this out later. Go search the scriptures, because I'm not going to get into this. To get into it in detail, took me, I think, 20 hours in the Bible school. So you're getting a five-minute version of that. But what you need to know about the time we're living in, the, the disciples came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, and they were bragging about the beautiful temple. It was one of the wonders of the world at the time. Jesus said, you think this is something, there won't be one stone left upon another that won't be torn down. And I've been to Israel, been down in under the city, and you can see where they had the grappling hooks on those big rocks. Some of those rocks were 150 feet long. And so they couldn't see that anything could ever tear it down. It, 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 it got torn down. It totally got torn down in 70 AD. But anyway, the disciples said, what? Tell us, number one, when shall these things be? Number two, when shall be the sign of your coming? And number three, and the end of the age. And so he answers those three questions, two of them in Matthew chapter 24, and Luke after, over in chapter 21. If you read them together, you'll see the difference between Matthew 24 and Luke 21, because Luke 21 talks about the Jews being led away into captive into all nations until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So when you understand the times of the Gentiles, it's like this. The Hebrew people had 490 years before they went into captivity. And that's why Jesus, when the disciples said, how many times are we to forgive? Seven? Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. They would have automatically went in their minds and thinking, that's the 490 years he forgave us before we went into the 70 years of captivity in Babylon, right? So, so they did the math and they recognized what he was talking about. And that's why they said, Lord, increase our faith. But then when you look in Daniel chapter 9, in Daniel chapter 9, the Lord said that the Messiah would be cut off. Now, they had 490 years after captivity. Matter of fact, in 420 B.C., they rebuilt the temple. So they're back in the land. They've got 490 years, but something happened. Daniel chapter 9 says, after 483 years, the Messiah will be cut off. So th that means that the Jews are owed seven years. We call it the tribulation period. They call it the birth pangs of the Messiah. And so those seven years are left, but they won't happen until the church age is over. The church age is over in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 when he says, come up here and I'll show you what happens after this. So what we're seeing now, Matthew chapter 24 says, he said, you're going to have earthquakes in diverse places, pestilences. But, but he said, look out for your redemption, draws nigh. And again, like he said in Luke uh, 21 and verse 26, he said, the, the real enemy in the last days is fear. This is what's going on right now. Uh, there's seven cases of something called the virus in Nova Scotia. Well, how many, how many cases of the flu are here that they're not even talking about? Like, it's magnified way beyond belief, and it's ridiculous. I walk out in my yard, I feed the birds out in the driveway, and I haven't got the feeders up yet, so I just chuck it. And, uh, but I notice when I scare one bird, they all fly away. Say la. Say la. <laughs> Hallelujah. La. No, don't be afraid. Fear is your enemy. I don't care what a doctor's report can bring fear. 
You know, fear, but what I have found is the fear shows up the biggest before the breakthrough. Amen. Hallelujah. And I don't know about you, but I declare the 2020 uh, double. Uh, this is my see clearly uh, perfect vision. This is my decade of destiny. And, and the Bible says that that. Even though there's this darkness, God's glory is going to be seen upon the church. This is the church's finest hour. But Goliath came out and yelled and everybody went and hid in the cave. Until David showed up. Come on, be some Davids. Let's have some Davids in here. <laughs> Saying, hey, you uncircumcised Philistine. <laughs> it's true. Hallelujah. And I'm not trying to put condemnation to anybody that's, that's home right now. If, that's, if, if you have fear, let me tell you, that's the best place for you to be. Because, because fear produces just like faith does. And I'm not saying that we're better than you if you're watching live stream because you're, you do what you're, you, you, peace is your powerful friend. Peace is your empire. Peace is your guide. And so I'm not trying to put anything on you. We're not all at the same faith place either. And so... It's all good. What I want to talk to you today about is right here on my phone. Philippians chapter 1. Hallelujah. We live in a great country. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray that people, we need to pray the fear off of people. We need the people to wake up and to realize what's really going on, to see behind the scene. Behind the scenes, there's another agenda, the Antichrist agenda, the New World Order agenda. You need to see clearly through that. But here in New Covenant Ministries Church, on this day, the 22nd day of March, I want to say this, I thank my God, verse 3, Philippians 1, 3, upon my every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, complaining about you. No, no, being thankful for the people that are, the greatest gift that I have, not just as a pastor, but as a human, are the people that are associated in my life. <laughs> you know, it's not... Prosperity is not money. Money is a part of it, but it's a very small part when you think about what you got around you. I celebrate my garbage truck coming down the road every two weeks and picking up my trash. I'm serious about that. I've been to the Philippines where it was thrown in the ditch. I'm so thankful for some of the things. I'm thankful that I can still go in a supermarket. Hallelujah. And buy toilet paper. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, always making my request with joy. For your fellowship, that's koinonia, partnership and intimacy in the gospel from the first day until now. Here's the verse I want to zero in on today. Being confident, very confident in this, I'm confident in this, that he that began the good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The good work is being performed in you. This is not the end. The world might think it is, but hopefully when they lift the band, people will come to church. 
I'm sure some of them are praying that have never prayed before in their lives. <laughs> anyway, praise God. So, so with this in mind, that, that he's going to perform the good work that he promised in you, I want to go back to the book of Genesis. Because the seed of everything is back in the book of Genesis. And some of these things I've shared with you before, but we're going to look at them again anyway. Where am I going to start, though? How about Genesis chapter 34? When God looks at you and looks at me, he sees the church that he started in the book of Genesis. He sees us going through all of the Old Testament, and, and, and the reason why he gave the law is because he needed to have fellowship with his man. So he had to make a way, a legal way that he could be. I don't want to get into, I don't want to get into all that. Help me, Lord, not to get into all that. No, but back in Genesis chapter 3, hallelujah. You know, Adam and Eve had this perfect environment. It was beautiful. Eve was taken out of the side of Adam. And years later, there's a man on a cross named Jesus. And a Roman spear, after he was dead, it had to be done after he was dead, because he couldn't redeem me until after he was dead. They, the Roman pierced his side, and out of his side flowed blood and water. The church was birthed that day, just like Adam was put in a deep sleep in Genesis chapter 2, and Eve was taken out of his side. Now, there's some things I don't understand, but at 3 o'clock this morning, I woke up just on my way to the bathroom. You know how it is. I didn't stay awake. I was just passing. In the middle of all that, God spoke to me. He said, I'm going to give you the answer to your question. I asked him a while ago, why is it that you never spent a night in Jerusalem? And, uh, and so I'm on my way to the bathroom, and he said, uh, uh, because it's my bride, and I'm not ready to spend that time with my bride. So then you're thinking, okay, uh, the body of Christ is the bride. Yeah, that's true. Just like Eve is the bride of Adam, right? But, it, but the Bible says that I saw a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, adorned as a bride under Christ. And so how can we be the body of Christ? We know we're the body of Christ, right? We are his body and the fullness of him fills us all in all. But we're also his bride. Yeah. And so it makes you go, huh? Like that, huh? Yeah. yeah. And if you can figure that all out, you can come tell me at 3 o'clock this morning. <laughs> It'll be part two of the message. But now I understand. I always wondered why Jesus would go out every night. He would not stay there. It wasn't his time to stay there. Honorable in everything. But now, now you're talking about Honorable. In Genesis chapter 34, did we leave Eve and Adam in the garden? Yes, we did. Back in Genesis chapter 3, Adam committed high treason against God. And can you imagine what it was like? Because the lion and the lamb laid down together. It says that they will in the last days as well, right? In the new, new earth. So he commits high treason against God. He runs and hides because now all of a sudden he's got guilt, condemnation, and shame, which you inherited from him. If you've got guilt, condemnation, and shame, it didn't come from Jesus. It came from Adam, from your first birth. And so, and so they ran filled with shame and guilt. And Jesus came along and said, Adam, what he really said in Hebrew is, why are you 
where you are. He ran and hid and committed high treason against God. But then I thought what it must have been like for him. You're in this perfect world. There's nothing dying. Everything is in harmony. The first thing that you see is an animal turns and eats another one. All of a sudden, this peaceful environment became filled with violence. And, 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 and you know that it's on you that, you, that you did it. I can't imagine what the guy felt like. I can't even imagine. And Jesus comes and finds him and cuts the skins of animals and sheds blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. And covered him. Then the next thing, of course, that happened was Cain killed Abel. And it, it talks about, in Genesis chapter 4, it says that, that Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Because he knew his wife, that's sexual intercourse. But it doesn't say that about Abel, because Abel was a twin. And so she birthed next Abel, and Abel came. And then it doesn't say anything about their childhood, but now they're grown up. And, and then it says that Cain, brought the, brought, he was a tiller of the ground. He was earthy. But Abel was a tender of the sheep. He was a shepherd. He was the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. He was a representative of the Lord Jesus. And then, of course, we've got other twins. Oh, God, hallelujah. We've got Jacob and Esau, a similar situation. But with Jacob and Esau, God clarified what happened with with Cain and Abel. He said the elder will serve the younger. And so the firstborn Cain is your flesh. And you're going to try to please God with whatever you can do in your own good works. And they were rejected by God. And Abel recognized that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. He brought the, the perfect sacrifice. Matter of fact, when you read Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, it says that Abel, that act of bringing a sheep, recognizing that his own works wouldn't do it, made him the first righteous guy in the Bible. He said Abel was righteous because he recognized, I can't. Look, when you want to know when you're righteous? When you can't do it. <laughs> Not when you've done it and you're feeling real good about it. <laughs> you can't do it. And so, you know, God says, Cain, hey, 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 you know, I'm not after a work of the flesh here. You need to go back to what I did for your father and mother with the shedding of blood and, and the skinning of the animals. You need to go back and, and get it right. But really, it, he represented, he, he really, they, they represent you and me. Because my firstborn is Cain, my flesh, and my secondborn is Abel, my spirit. And the war goes on continuously until one kills the other. Come on, Paul's talked about it in Romans chapter 7. He said, hey, oh wretched man that I am, the thing that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I always find myself doing. He recognized the war between Cain and Abel was still happening in him. That's why he wrote Romans chapter 8, aren't you glad? Verse 1, therefore, because of the struggle... There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the blood sacrifice that Abel covered, the same blood sacrifice that Jesus did, is rolling on me. 
I'm justified by the blood. Therefore being, Romans 5, 8, and 9, therefore being justified by his blood, not by my good looks, justified by his blood. We have what? Forgiveness of sin? Hallelujah. See, so this is all, this is all connected together, and I don't know how I got way off in that. I need to find my way back to Genesis 34. Well, Genesis chapter 34 is interesting too because they're, they're going in to possess the promised land and uh, they're dealing with issues. You and I are dealing with issues. You and I, we go back. Last night again, I was sitting in a chair just thinking about it. I was across in the Red Sea with Moses. And uh, I, I didn't know him, but I know he was way up there and uh, way up ahead. And I was looking at these walls of water all around me, oh, huge walls of water, thinking, wow, if this thing crashes in, I'm going to drown real quick. And then it's not a two-minute walk. It was a long journey, and there's three million of them. Can you imagine the panic if fear got you, how you'd be trying to, like if you ever been to a believer's convention down in Fort Worth, <laughs> the, the sweetest people in the world till they open the door. Yep. <laughs> I have been run over by little old ladies, man. They're there and they're, we're talking to one another, sharing our faith and the sweetness and everything, but then the doors open and they want that front row seat. And they're carrying big bags of stuff. I don't know what they carry in those big bags of stuff. They'll knock you over with that. They, they build a nest, and they get their, they get all their books out and all their, and they sit in there, and they dare you to come near anywhere near them. Right? I'm here to get the word of God, and I'll kill anybody that gets in my way. <laughs> Not the proper spirit, you understand, but <laughs> you know what I'm talking about exactly. Yeah. So anyway, here in chapter 34, what happened was. Um, they're traveling along, Jacob and his family, and uh, and they they when when they when they get into Shechem, uh, Dinah, their sister, is a good-looking girl, and Shechem wanted her for his wife. And they, matter of fact, they had sex. They slept together, and then he tried to negotiate to get her as a wife. And of course, her brothers were not real happy about the the situation. And so, but, but they, so, but I, was it Levi and Simeon, I think, that made the deal? I know Levi was one of them. They made a deal. They said, okay, um, we, we'll enter into a covenant with you if you'll circumcise yourselves. Then you can marry our women. We can marry yours. So the guys thought that was, must have been, a, she must have been some good look. Anyway. <laughs> Those were some good-looking Jewish girls, Jordy. I'm telling you right now because <laughs> these are full-grown men, <laughs> and they didn't have real sharp knives; they had sharp stones. And so I just tried to picture the thing in my mind. Anyway, so they they agreed. The men of Shechem they agreed, and so they all they all I don't know how they lined up and did that, and I don't even know how they checked on one another. But anyway, they did it. Things that you think about. How do you know when you go in the synagogue whether you're circumcised or not? Next. <laughs> no, no. Things that I shouldn't be thinking about and talking to you about right now either. <laughs> but anyway, so they agreed. And then because they're grown up, 
it takes a while. It takes, uh, I think, around two weeks for to heal up from this. Anyway, on the third day, when they were really sore, putting mud on it and sitting in the tent door, <laughs> trying to no, no, they had no tile. Oh, don't get so graphic. Okay. I'm not trying to paint that picture in your mind. I'm really not. I'm not. I just know that you've got a city full of men moaning and groaning and hurting and and hoping they don't have to go to the bathroom anytime soon. <laughs> okay, verse 25 says, And it came to pass on the third day when they were sore, that two of the sons of Jacob, see, had Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, took each man his sword and came in upon them city boldly and killed all the men. Verse 30, And Jacob said unto Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me to make me stink among the inhabitants of the land and among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I being few in number shall gather themselves, they could gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I be destroyed, I and my house. So, so Jacob was not happy with the situation because he recognized that it was a covenant breach. But now over in John chapter 4, because God's going to finish everything that he said he was going to finish. John chapter 4, I know you're familiar with the story. But let's look at it a little bit differently here. Verse 1, it says, uh, um, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus baptized more people than the disciples than John, though he himself baptized no one, uh, he left Judea and departed again unto Galilee. But in verse 4 it says, I must needs. It means that he had an itinerary. He had to go over to Samaria. He had to go over to the well of Shechem. He had to go over there because he had to, to, to finish and restore what was started in Genesis chapter 34, right? So it says, now Jacob's well was there. Well, verse, uh, verse 4, he departed to, unto Galilee. He came to Samaria. Then he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, which is called Shechem, it's Shechem in the, in the Hebrew, to a parcel of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and he was weary from the journey. That's good to remember, too, that Jesus got tired. Yeah. He lived as a man. And, you know, you think about Jesus the man. And I was thinking about him the other day, like, one of the last things that he did before he went to Calvary was he washed his disciples' feet. You talk about love. Then he goes into Gethsemane, and he's in agony to the point where he's sweating blood because he knows he has to go to Calvary. And he's saying, is there any other way? If there's any other way, please take this cup from me. But you talk about love, how much he loves you. He prayed through that, and then he went. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He went through all of that agony. And the worst agony of all was in the middle of the day when it went dark, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the only time he never called him father. 
He said, my God, my God, why? Because my sin, your sin, came on him at that moment. He had already bore your sickness and pain with, with the whip and the beating, but it was not until your sin and my sin came upon him and God rejected him to take you in. <laughs> no, think about, you need to think about You need to think about these things when you're down on yourself. You need to remember that he that began a good work in you is working it out. It, you, it doesn't matter what it looks like in the middle of wherever you are right now. He's working it out. I tithed and gave offerings for years and years before I ever saw a major breakthrough in the finances. But it came. It didn't come when I expected it or when I thought I needed it. <laughs> but he's faithful. He's proven his faithfulness right here and now. He's, he's uncovering what Jacob's, uncovering and healing Jacob's shame. He, told, he said through the prophet Isaiah, for shame I'll give you the double. For confusion you'll rejoice in, in your portion. And in, the last, and, and in the land you will possess double and everlasting joy will be upon you. That promise is still in effect. No, he didn't forget it. Maybe you forgot some of the promises that he made to you. Get them out and re rehearse them again. Because he's about to do some powerful, miraculous things in the church. So anyway, uh, he was weary with the journey, and it was high noon, sixth hour. So it's hot. It's really hot. He's thirsty. There came a woman from Samaria to draw water. And why would she come at noon? I like to always point this out, too. The women came in early in the morning and late in the evening to get water. The reason why she was there at noon is because they wouldn't hang out with her. Why? Because she had five husbands and she was living common with a sixth one. <laughs> and so the, the, the women of the city didn't want anything to do with her. But, you know, she was just looking for Jesus. She went through six, five men and now she's with a sixth one. But number seven just walked on the scene. Come on. <laughs> number seven just showed up because he's faithful. Maybe you've been through five or six. Well, number seven is on the way. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Nice to know, too, that God brought Eve to Adam. Adam wasn't out running around all over the place looking for her. There came a time, and Eve stepped into his life. Some of you single ladies, there's a time when you'll step into somebody's life. And it won't be forced. Anyway, okay. So he was tired because it was high noon. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said, give me something to drink. See, this, this, I like this whole witnessing thing because it started with a conversation. Didn't knock on the door with a bunch of tracks. <laughs> it started with a conversation. That's how you witness for Jesus. It's not... You know, you, you don't have some rehearsed program that you're going to dump on somebody. Just be yourself. Be who you are. I remember when I first started sharing Jesus with people, all I could say was once I was blind and now I see. I knew nothing of the Bible. I just knew what he had done for me. And so that's what I talked about. And so he came there and he started with a conversation. He said, give me the drink for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy meat. And... Uh, 
Then saith the woman unto him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan? See, because this is why Jesus used the term good Samaritan when he was talking to the priests, because they hated the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. They hated them. Bigotry, total. So, So how is it you're talking to me? And why would you ask me for water because the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus said unto her, if you knew the if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you give me to drink, you would have asked and he would have given you I am, I am living water living water the woman said unto him, sir you don't have anything to draw with, again thinking in the natural as we do and the well is deep, how are you going to get that water? Are, are you greater than Jacob who gave us this well? Jesus answered and said unto her, whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again, but if you drink the water that I'll give you, it'll spring up into everlasting life. The woman said, please give me this water that I thirst not. Jesus said, go call your husband here. Again, he, he knew she didn't have one, but he wanted to, he wanted to address her. And, and notice he didn't, he didn't do what the church would have done. <laughs> We're done with you. <laughs> How many mistakes are you allowed? <laughs> the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, I know you haven't. You have well said. <laughs> You've had five. And, uh, you know, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, this is, these are gifts of the Spirit that operate like this. And they will operate through you too if you'll step out and be bold. They will operate through you if you step up and be bold. God wants, see, when Jesus said he was the firstborn among many brethren, it's because he wanted to use you. Because he wanted to manifest himself. He, could, he was very limited in one body, but now he's in us, the body of Christ. And so we're, we're still trying to figure out how to get things. And God's saying, you, you need to figure out who you are in Christ. If you ever find out that, 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 that perfect love will cast out fear and you'll be bold. The righteous, Proverbs 28, 1 says, the righteous are bold as lions. Come on. So he said... So he said, you said truly. The woman said unto him, I perceive, <laughs> I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> Our fathers worshipped here in this mountain and saying unto Jerusalem, the place that you ought to worship. Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour has come that you'll not worship in this mountain or that mountain. <laughs> How are you going to worship? Verse 23. But the hour comes and now is that true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. In other words, you learn how to worship like that so, you can, can, so that you can connect to the victory that's already inside of you. Come on, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The potential that the church has, I haven't seen or met anybody that's lived up to the potential that we have. You can take the Smith Wigglesworth, the John G. Lakes, and all those people and put them all together, and they still haven't lived up to the power that's within you. The power that's resident within you. But, but Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. It's the same mighty power that he worked upon Christ when he raised him from the dead. Why? Because when he raised him from the dead, my Bible says he raised us all from the dead. It took power to do that. He said, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and quickens your mortal body. 
That doesn't mean you're not going to start, have struggles in the flesh. That doesn't mean that you, you, you're not going to have to fight to overcome some things. That doesn't mean that you, you believe in God for a miracle and sometimes it happens in a day and sometimes it might be two or three or four or five or six years. What am I supposed to do? I'm a believer. If he's going to fix this, you, well, let's, let's finish this. Let's finish what he's going to fix here. So anyway, Jesus uh, Jesus talking to her. And, uh, I want to get down to. Yeah, verse 28. The woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said unto the men. <laughs> I, I first thought, well, it's because she didn't know any of the women. But then I realized it was the men that were, that were killed in Genesis chapter 34 uh, after they were circumcised that needed redemption. Now, I know it's not the same men. What I'm saying to you is God treats the church as it's always been and it always will be, and he's going to fix this thing because the Bible says that he's a restorer of everything. Matter of fact, in Psalm 103 and verse uh, 13, Psalm 102 and verse 13, it says that he wakes up and, and restores everything that's been stolen from your life. Isaiah 44 said, is anybody ever going to say restore, restore? Isaiah had to ask, are you ever going to speak it? Your destiny out of your mouth? Thank you, Lord, for restoring everything that was stolen from me, my immediate family, my family before me, all the way back to Solomon that had all that wealth that belongs into the body of Christ. The wealth of the wicked is laid up in store for the just. We, you know, we see what the devil's trying to do with the finances right now. There is a financial inversion coming to the church of God. Right now, we're all like Goliaths out there, and they were all hiding in their tents because of what he was saying. Anyway, leave that alone. Okay. Well, verse 30, 30. Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meantime, the disciples, came, they, they were gone for lunch, and they came back, and of course, Jesus talked to them, and he said, the field is already white with harvest. So what happened in Genesis chapter 34 was restored in John chapter 4. Now I want to show you, I want to show you a couple more. There's a bunch of them, but I want to show you a couple more. I want to go to Genesis chapter 49. I'm saving the best one for last, though. I'll tell you that right now. I got a, I got a real good one coming up. Genesis 49. That's where he's addressing all the, the sons of Israel. I hope this is helping somebody. This helped me. He started a good work in you, and he's going to complete it until the coming of the Lord Jesus. And so he's talking to people here, and the first one he talks about is Reuben, because Reuben is the firstborn. And he said, Reuben, you're unstable as water. Well, what does water do? It fits any shape you pour it into. And so what he was saying is, Reuben, I can't trust you because you'll, you'll, you'll compromise. You won't get the promise because you'll put the calm in front of it. When you are after the promise, you can't compromise. You stay on the promise. Believe God, no matter what's going on, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to settle for something less. And that's what Reuben did. Matter of fact, Reuben didn't even go in the promised land. They got right up to the border of Jordan. He said, I like it here. And I've seen so many Christians in my life that have done exactly the same thing. 
You get partway there, and the pain isn't as intense as it was. <laughs> you got a few bills paid now, and you're going, make it okay, this is good enough. No, it's not okay until you get absolutely everything that was promised to you in the kingdom of God. You don't settle. They settled on the other side of the Jordan. Don't settle just because the Jordan River is flood season. Just because there's no way across at flood season and he's telling you to step out into the unknown. Okay, to quack faith, but I'm telling you, it's a different thing to live it. To live it means you need to step out in things that you're not familiar with. That you're going somewhere you've never been before. God wants to take you places you've never been before, but something like this comes on the scene and all the church freaks out. Ah, ah, is this the end? No, if you read your Bible, you'll know it's not the end. <laughs> this gospel will be preached into all the nations as a witness unto me. Not just some TV program pumping it out, but miracles and signs and wonders. Paul said, I don't come to you with enticing words of men speaking, but in power and in demonstration of the Holy Ghost. He said, I'm coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. You think he's coming back right now? Take a good look around you. <laughs> there's a process. <laughs> Come on, we're sanctified, but there's also the sanctification that, that we work out every day. We are righteous, but we're also walking a path of righteousness. And the better that I can walk it, the more power will be released in my life. The better that I can be straight, the more power that can be released because God doesn't want me to, you, you know, God, we, we say, God, turn up my words. Turn up the power in my words. And the next thing you know, you're cursing to somebody to cut you off in traffic. <laughs> he can't turn up the power if he can't trust you. That's why it takes 16 years to get a driver's license. You're not ready when you're seven. You might feel like, you probably do real good going down the road for a little ways. And that's the same thing with the things of the Spirit of God. We want to operate in such a high level, but we need to be faithful where we are. How do I expect the power of God to flow through me if I've got a bad attitude towards somebody in this room? I mean, I'm serious. I can't talk to you. I'm offended. Yeah, you're off and it's ended. Offended. Off and ended. You want the power of the Holy Ghost, you're going to do what Jesus said to Peter. Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Peter said, Lord, increase my faith. Exactly. You have to do everything by faith. You can't forgive people out of your natural brain. <laughs> you want to kill them every time you look at them. <laughs> the cool thing about my life right now is I don't have anybody like that. But if we were to dial backwards a little ways... We had to walk through some stuff. Anyway, we're, we're, so, so he talks about Reuben, and so Reuben is unstable as water. But now I want to get down to Gad in verse 19. And Gad, and Gad, if you look it up in the Strong's Concordance or any of those other concordances, it'll say troop. But if you look it up in the Hebrew, it says betrayal. And uh, because... Leah couldn't have any more children, and she gave her, her maid, I forget his, her name. She was jealous of Rachel because Rachel was now producing kids. Rachel had been barren for a long time. Now Rachel's producing kids. And so Leah is jealous, and so she gives, she gives um, Jacob her 
made. We'll call, I don't, I'm not going to look up the name right now. But anyway, so, so, so she betrayed Rachel to produce Gad, right? Okay. So it says, Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome them in the last days, right? With that in mind, we need to go to Mark chapter 5. This is just so cool. This is so cool. At least I think it is. I totally enjoyed it. Because I've been to Galilee, and I have an idea where the land of the Gadarenes is down at the other end of, of, of Tiberias. But anyway, they came, it says they, they came over to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gad, what, Gad? Yeah, yeah. The Gadarenes. And I don't know this to be true, but I've imagined it while I was there staying in Galilee. The land of the Gadarenes is way down the other end of the lake, but what you'll notice about that big lake, the Sea of Galilee, whatever you want to call it, Tiberias, is that when the, when the, when the boats are crossing over, they take, there's no speedboats or anything like that, but when the boats cross over and they have tour, tour guides taking them along across the lake, you can hear them singing in Hebrew, and it echoes across the lake. It's really beautiful. But I was thinking about this madman of Gadara when I'm sitting on the beach down there in Galilee, thinking if he was screaming like they said he was screaming, perhaps Jesus heard that noise coming up the lake. The man was in agony. But the man was in agony all the way from Genesis chapter 49. How does this all work out? I don't know. I don't understand how he led them. Adam sinned and he clothed and all of that. And he led them through the wilderness, had to give them the law. The Bible says the death reigned from Adam to Moses. Why? Because Moses brought the law. And now, see, you've got to understand that our God, Hebrews 12 says, last verse says, our God is a consuming fire. He's totally pure. And if he was to walk up and hug Adam, he'd have fried him. He'd have been a crispy critter right there. And so he was separated. That's why even when he brought, came to Moses with the law, I love that. Moses went up in that fire for 40 days. I said, oh, God, take me into the fire. I want to be in the fire, not the fire of hell, the fire of the presence of God. Whew. There's so much that's available that we haven't even tapped into. Acts chapter 4, and the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were filled fresh with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Don't be satisfied with just getting your bills paid and getting the rent taken care of and your kids are okay. Go for the whole saying, God, we're living in the hour right now when everything, come on, Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8 says, everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that the things that can't be shaken will remain. And then in the next verse he says, and the gold and the silver are mine. <laughs> It's all, no, but it's all through the Bible, the promises that he has for the church, and we forget them all when the trouble comes. Throw it all down now. No, get up. Get up if you ever needed to get up. It's right now. If there ever was a time for the church to say, we are the blood-bought, the, uh, the redeemed of the Lord, and we say so. Yes, we're contagious. Just get near me, and I'll lay the Holy Ghost on you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. They, didn't, they had to take their mask off to get a breath. Anyway, so. No, no, and again, I don't mean to mar. Like, I understand fear because I used to live with it. 
you know, I did so many drugs that I'd be peeking out through the curtain of the w- window of my apartment, wondering if the cops were sneaking up. There was nobody there, and I was scared. Matter of fact, lots of times I was scared, and I didn't even know what I was scared of. I just lived in a place of fear because living such a criminal life. And I wasn't as bad as Earl. But the more you know that God loves you, the more relaxed you are, and the less judgmental you are. That's why we're saying we're not judging anybody that's in fear right now. We're praying that God would lift that fear, because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and a sound mind. And when you're experiencing fear, it's the Antichrist. His nature is fear. He's filled with fear. My Bible says he knows his time is short. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know, he puts his big bad self in movies and makes himself all look scary and everything, but he's the one that's scared. He's scared of a little Christian. That if that little Christian ever finds out who, who they are, they'll run me off. The God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The feet are the part of the body that is covered up with a sweaty sock right now. It's not a comely part, the Bible says, but the Bible says that even your little toe is greater than, greater is he that is in you than he that's in your circumstances, but the greater one has to rise up. You got to rise up and take authority. Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon the serpent and the scorpion over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. All authority has been given unto me. Go ye therefore. Transfer of authority. Go ye therefore. Yeah. I give you authority over principalities and powers and rules of darkness of this world and the spiritual wickedness in, in heavenly places and render them harmless and ineffective against you in the name of Jesus. So where were we? Oh, yeah. Okay, back in the land of Gadara. There came a man with an unclean spirit. The devil was trying to stop this man's destiny. The tribe of Gad has a destiny. He was being hindered. There was a man in the tombs immediately. And I like this story because it follows Mark chapter 4. And in Mark chapter 4, the Bible says they were caught in a big storm on the lake. Jesus came walking on the water and got in the boat with them. And immediately they were on the other side. So just when you thought you were in a big storm that was over, just like that, they get out of that boat at 4 o'clock in the morning saying, Ooh, hallelujah, wasn't that some boat ride? And the next thing that happens is a naked man with chains hanging off his wrist comes running out. Ah! So just when you think it can't get worse, it can but Jesus is with you. And he's got the authority over this, and so do you now. It says, this man was dwelling among the tombs. You couldn't bind him, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains were plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could a man tame him. Have you ever dealt with somebody that was demon-possessed? I have. Yeah. And it's only the authority of Jesus that will keep them in their place. Because their strength is supernatural. Supernatural strength will come on an an unsaved person possessed with the devil. Why would it not happen to a born-again believer? If a human can be possessed with a legion of demons, what happens if you're possessed with the Holy Ghost? 
No, but we got to stop looking at the vessel. You have a treasure. Come on, Corinthians 4, 7 says you have a treasure in an earthen vessel. That he wants you to focus on the treasure, not the earthen vessel. That's what happened between Cain and Abel. Cain was looking at the earthen vessel. And but, but I'm telling you right now, Abel saw something different. My, my Bible says that the blood of Abel still speaks. And if the blood of Abel still speaks, guess what the blood of Jesus says? Oh, the blood of Jesus. Okay, so where we got them? We got them naked coming out of the tombs. Always, night and day, in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting. How much, how many, how, how much of that do you see these days among young people? Cutting. It's the same spirits. See, the, the people come and go, but the spirits... They they stay in the they stay in the territory that they were in. I have watched as I grew up and and got into different things. I watched you could go in and mow down a neighborhood and put in a new neighborhood. The same spirit would be there within a few years. Like I remember one neighborhood, my son would recognize. They always dealt drugs there, so they mow it down and put rich people in there. The rich people are dealing drugs <laughs> because the spirit is over that territory. Satan doesn't have a whole lot of deal going on. You know, he was cast to this earth with fallen angels. And so the, all he can do, and he's not omnipresent like God. He can't come and sit in your room and hear what you're saying. But he's got de demons on assignment, and he has studied human nature long enough to know how to deal with you. Yes. That's why if you don't renew your mind, that's why when something like this happens, you're found. To, come on, in Luke chapter 6, he told a story about two different houses. They looked exactly the same. Two guys in church looked exactly the same. Until the storms of life came. And he didn't say if it came. He said the storms of life will come. And they beat vehemently against the house. The house that was built on the sand. It looked as good in the, on the street as any other house down the boulevard, right? Until the storm hit and then down it went. Until storms like what's going on right now hit, you don't know what's in you. But if you've got a foundation, Luke 6, 48, he said, the man whose house stood, laid, he dug, it says that he dug deep into the word of God, and he laid a foundation. There's no other foundation but Christ. He dug down and laid his foundation on a rock. Corinthians chapter 10 says the rock that followed them is Christ. So he built his life on the rock, and when the storm beat vehemently against his house, he had a testimony afterwards. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. See, it's all about the book. Am I going to believe the book, or am I going to believe what I see in here? And, I, and it's not a combination of the both. That's compromise. I'm either going to stand on the book or I'm going to... Or I'm going to you know, and again, if I, if I don't have something worth dying for, i got nothing worth living for. I would die for this. I don't want to. But I was once dead before a drug and alcohol addiction. This is, this is a much better deal. Anyway, okay, we got him running around naked in the tombs. Okay. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried with a loud voice saying, What have I to do with you, Jesus, you most high God, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, don't torment me. For he said unto him, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is your name? He answered, Legion, for we are many. God said, Gad... A legion will overtake you, but in the last days, you'll be delivered. 
He that began a good work in you will complete it until the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now find Jonah. I spend a lot of time looking for Jonah sometimes. I don't know about you. It's only three chapters, and they, and I think they move it around in my Bible from time to time just to make it more difficult. No, they don't. There's Nahum, there's Habakkuk, there's uh, who else? Micah, Micah. Okay, Jonah, four chapters, yeah. Chapter one. Now, Nineveh had a library with 22,000 clay tablets in it. It was a huge city, and it took three days to walk across the city. I'm talking about a big city, and they had walls sometimes 1,200 feet in the, ground, in the air. It's amazing. It was a huge, huge city. I don't know how many people were living there. I used to have it written. I do, I do have it written down. 120,000 population, 64 miles around. One, mile, one wall was 18 miles long and 50 feet high with 1,500 towers. So, so quite a massive city, right? But anyway, Nineveh, well, let's read it. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come down before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and found a ship hidden for Tarshish. Why? Because Jonah even said out of his own mouth, let me see if I can find it. Anyway, you know the story, he ran away and he got swallowed up by a fish that God prepared. I mean, we got the idea that it was a whale. But it might have been a three-bedroom apartment. I have no idea. All I know is that he was gathered up by a fish. Matter of fact, in verse 17, it says, The Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. Matter of fact, Jesus referred to that when he said, Just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish, I'll be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, right? And anyway... And so Jonah cried by reason of his affliction. It's amazing what happens when you get afflicted. <laughs> I knew it all till I was afflicted. <laughs> affliction was some of the best stuff that ever happened in my life, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> That's what David said in Psalm 116. He said, I was afflicted, but I'm a whole lot better now. Psalm 119, he mentioned it three or four times. He said, I have been afflicted. But after I was afflicted, he said, I believed and therefore I spoke. That's what Paul was talking about in Corinthians chapter 4. He said he believed and spoke, and we also believe and speak. After you've been broken down, and I don't mean to say that God breaks you, circumstances of life will, you know, but God will restore you. Anyway, so he cried by reason of his affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell I cried. Uh Chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came unto Jonah a second time. Thank God he's the God of sacrifice. He's the God of second chances, rather. What Jonah said about the Ninevites is he said, I didn't want to go there because I knew that if I went there and preached, they would repent, and I didn't want them to get saved. So how many of you know he had... He had an issue that needed to be fixed. So he wouldn't go to Nineveh. He went as far as Joppa and then ran in the other direction. But now there's another Jonah 
Simon Barjona. You may have heard of him. His name was changed to Peter. Simon Barjona or Simon Ben Jonah, Simon son of Jonah. So his lineage was in the lineage of Jonah. And, and, and he's in the same situation over in Acts chapter 10. Why are you showing us all this, Pastor? So that you'll know that nothing in your life is happening by accident. The good, the bad, and the ugly, it's not happening. It's on purpose. It's on purpose. Are you saying that bad things happen on purpose? No, but bad happen, when bad things happen, they have a purpose. God is working in your life every minute of the day. There's no such thing as coincidence. There's no word in the Hebrew language for coincidence. The things that are happening in you and around you are building you up in the most holy faith. There's something going on. You feel like you're being torn down. Well, sometimes Jeremiah said, I got to tear it down so that I can build it and plant it. You know, the tearing down is ready for the building up. Again, like Paul the Apostle in in Philippians 2.20, he finally said, after 20 some odd years of ministry, I have been crucified with Christ. He probably couldn't say that first five years, 10 years, 15 years. Matter of fact, when he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I know he stumbled over every word because it wasn't his nature to walk in that love. He understood the grace of God, but he didn't understand the love of God. And God had to teach him. He said, Peter, hey, or Paul, rather, you know, you're doing all this good stuff, but you're a tinkling brass and a sounding cymbal. Your heart's not in it. You're still, you still brought that religion that you had with you, and you're still trying to do things out of your flesh, like Cain. And again, don't, don't pick on anybody in the Bible, because, this, again, that same war is in you. The elder must serve the younger, but lots of times the younger serves the elder. Like the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son? He was the younger son. And he said, give me my inheritance. And it wasn't until he went away and squandered it all that he realized, wait, 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 wait now. Uh, In my father's house, there's provision, there's blessing, there's prosperity. In my father's house, even the servants are treated better than I am right now. Then he said out of his mouth, I will arise and go home. And when he went back, Cain was waiting for him. His father met him and kissed him and kissed him and kissed him. And then the elder brother was out what? Working in the field like Cain. Can you see how this all ties together? And the elder brother wouldn't even come to the party because he worked so hard trying to please God. And that, that will annoy religious people more than anything. They, they've been serving God for 20 years and you come in in 15 minutes and you're blessed beyond them. What did they do? I've been, I've been tied up. No. Oh, God, thank you. That the one that was hired at the last hour got the same salary as the one that was hired at the first hour. And if it didn't come to me this time, I'm next. Because my attitude is right. <laughs> okay, now where were we here? Did we get this guy? Oh, no, yeah, okay, Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian band. So he had at least 100 people under him. He was a big shot centurion in the Italian band, meaning he was a purebred Roman. A devout man who feared God and all of his house and gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision and evidently about the ninth hour of the day, three o'clock in the afternoon of Jewish prayer time, 
And the angel of God came to him, saying unto him, Cornelius. He went and looked on him and said, (laughs) and he was afraid. I'm telling you, seeing a vision of an angel in a church is one thing. I've seen manifestations of that from time to time. But when one manifests, like, and you can see with your physical eyes, you don't want to run up and say, hug time. <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh God, I'm sorry. No, no, you might not have done anything wrong, but you'll be apologizing to God anyhow. <laughs> He looked on him, he was afraid, and said, What is this, Lord? And he said unto him, Your prayers and your alms. No, two things speak for you in heaven. Look at this. Two things speak for you in heaven. The money that you give and the prayers that you offer. Make sure you got both of them talking and working in you. For God said that love that he gave. You had to be the first one to pay for a check. You had to be the first one. I mean it. You train yourself. You don't go into any coffee. Well, you can't go into any coffee shops in the country right now. But don't ever go and buy a coffee and don't leave them a tip. That's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's son in there. You no, know, you be a blessing wherever you go. In the restaurant, don't leave them a tract under a napkin. Dear God. No, do you want to get their attention? Lay some serious money on them. I remember one time, this is not to brag on me, this is just to tell you something that happened that was funny. I was with George Moss at the Boston Pizza. And George gave the waitress a $5 tip. So I put a 10 on there. Then George put a 20 on there. And then I put a... <laughs> that girl got over $100 in tips. I tell you right now, her last words to us was, please come back tomorrow night. <laughs> Now, what do you think would be a better way to, to share Jesus with her? A tract on the table with a loony in it? Yes. Taped to it? <laughs> so she has to peel, peel the tape off to get the tract that she's... You know how many tracts she's already got? And she's not even in a Christian city in the natural. She wants to see somebody walking in love. Love gives. So look at this, but I wanted to get to verse 5. Now send a man to where? (laughs) Where Jonah was. Same deal, right? So so Peter's in Joppa, Simon Bar-Jonah is in Joppa, and Jonah himself, we're in Joppa. Send men to Joppa and call for Simon Simon whose surname is Peter. So Simon Bar-Jonah whose name was changed to Petros, Rock. Go get Rocky. He lodges with Simon the Tanner. That's a strange thing, too, because they, <laughs> what are you doing with the Tanner? They hated, the, you know, animal skins and stuff like that. I don't get this part at all. But they were down by the seaside. And, and, and tell him what he ought to do. And when the angel which spoke unto him, he, he, Cornelius, he sent people to get Peter. Verse 10. Verse 9, in the morning, as they went on their journey to draw near unto the city, Peter went up on the rooftop at noon to pray. But it's also lunchtime. Not a good time to pray right now for Peter because it says he got hungry. (laughs) He bowed his knees and got down on the roof, and then all of a sudden something was growling. What's that noise? It was him. And so it says, but while he would have eaten... While they were making it ready, he fell into a trance and saw from heaven open a vessel descending from him with the four corners. 
knit in the four corners like a stork carrying a baby, right? The four corners. And he let it down onto the earth where there was all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And a voice said unto him, I know you're a vegan. No, 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 he didn't say that. He didn't say that. <laughs> he didn't say that. He didn't say that. <laughs> there came a voice said, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke unto him again a second time, what God has cleansed, don't you call common or unclean. This was done three times, and he received him up to heaven. While Peter doted in himself the vision he had seen, the men that came from Joppa came to Joppa, came and got him, and of course, he went with them. And you know the rest of the story, that he did go to Nineveh. He went to Caesarea, rather, down by the seaside down to Caesarea Philippi and had such a revival down there that when I was there 2,000 years later, Herod built a really, Herod built three things over there, a, a, a temple, a, a house in Jerusalem and one in Masada and one down in Caesarea. It was a beautiful place. I walked through the whole place. I mean, the ruins are there, but you walked through the whole place knowing that 2,000 years ago you wouldn't have been invited in. <laughs> you wouldn't have been able to walk in there at all. But so I'm down there, and there's a coliseum where they used to race chariots and kill gladiators, killing people and stuff like that. And so I got talking to some people there and found out that Cornelius, the centurion, now I say he had a 1,000, or a 100 rather, he at least had a 100. It could have been several hundred, but he didn't have the 1,000. He was a centurion over hundreds of men. He went back there after with Peter, got filled with the Holy Ghost. Matter of fact, the Bible says that while Peter yet spake, the Holy Ghost fell upon them, and they began to speak with other tongues. The Holy Ghost came. The Holy Ghost came, just like, just like, just like he just swooped in there and fell upon everybody in the place. And while he had sp spoke, and Peter said, "I perceive <laughs> that he loves the Gentiles just like he loves me." And that's where he said in 1038, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So anyway, when I was in Caesarea in 2011, I think I was there, the guy told me that after Cornelius came back and Peter came back with him, the, the Colosseum was used after that is for prayer meetings. So what the enemy was using... Under Herod, remember Herod, he died. He, remember he was trying to act like God and, and, and worms ate him. He's just sitting there like a big shot and all of a sudden, whew. hallelujah. Amen. So what's your point, Gary? The point is right here. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my request with joy. Request with joy because I know it's happening. That God is working out his best in your life. That when you get up every day and say, this is the day the Lord has made, I'm just going to rejoice and be glad. And I'm not going to complain about anything. I complained a little bit this morning when I found out the coffee shops were closed. I'll, I'll, I'll confess. And I was thinking about where am I going to go to a restaurant after church and realize they're all closed. None of you have ever had to deal with this. I had to deal with my flesh a little bit. But then I remembered, this is the day that the Lord has made. 
I'm going to make my request with joy for, he said, for your fellowship, your partnership in the intimacy in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing that he began the good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Not only is he going to complete the good work in you, but everything that happened through all of your forefathers. Like, like Paul said in, in, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he said, I serve God for my forefathers. He recognized that the blessing that he walked in was going all the way back. And it was all coming to him. That God was going to fulfill every promise in this last generation. Come on, Acts chapter 3. Can I give you just one more, two more verses? One, just, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know you know these verses, but Peter said it this way. I'm going to put you in remembrance of these things, even though that you know them, so that you can be established in this present truth. Okay, verse 19, Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. You already know this. Repent. What's repent mean? Change your mind. mind. Just change the way that you think. You see, because when Adam fell, he had to be programmed. All he knew was revelation knowledge that he got from God in the cool of the day. So he had to be programmed. You couldn't even kill him until you programmed him for death. And so it took 930 years, I think, to program him for death, but then it started getting shorter and shorter after that. But he couldn't, but, but he, Satan couldn't kill him. If Satan could kill people, he would kill you right now, right, right, right where you're sitting, he would just kill you right now. No, but he can make suggestions. And he's, you know, and he can use his psychology on you. And he can try to talk you into not being who, you, who he said you are. And that's what he had to do with Adam, and that's what he's done from everyone going forward. That's why the Bible says you can't be led by your head. And Romans 12, 2 says, renew your mind to the word of God so that you can prove the good, the acceptable, the perfect will of God for your life. You need to read, because you don't think right. People that are wobbling right now all over this earth, they're wobbling because they don't have a foundation under them. They didn't build a good foundation. Maybe they thought in their heads, but it's not what you believe in your head. What you believe in your heart's going to show up when things like this go on. You know, because your head is receiving, you receive more information right now in, in one day than, than people did in 12 years just a, just a while back. Just a while back. You're being bombarded with information. But it's not revelation. The Bible says, if you'll, Paul said it this way to Timothy. Timothy, if you'll consider what I say, if you'll think about it, God will give you revelation. Okay, so Acts chapter 3, 19. Repent, change your mind, and be converted. Epistrepo, it simply means if you're walking in one direction, you're going to turn around and go in the other direction. If you've been walking in the wrong direction, turn around. That your sins may be I love this blotted out. It doesn't mean erased from a hard drive. It means obliterated. He said, I'm giving you some new software now. You don't think right. I'm going to give you some new software because you, you, the software you have is corrupted with too much Facebook and too much media and it's all cluttered up and you're trying to think with it. And I, he, God said, I can't even speak to you through because I can't get it through to you because you're so cluttered up with misinformation. I want to give you some new software today. He said that your sins will be obliterated, that the times, the times, 
This is good. This is times, it's visitation, manifestation, it's demonstration. That the seasons of refreshing, it's kairos, it's due times. Seasons of refreshing will come to you from the face of God. El Pene, face to face, moth to moth resuscitation. Just like I breathed on the disciples and got them born again, I can breathe on you again and fill you fresh with the Holy Ghost. Come on, I want to kiss you. Take your mask off, I want to kiss you. Then he says in verse 20, and he'll send Jesus Christ again that was before preached to you, whom the heaven, look at this, whom the heaven must receive until the chronos, chronological time, the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled. Until the times, come on, un, he said, until the times of restitution, restitution of what? How many? So everything that's been stolen from the body of Christ needs to be restored. Jesus started. Come on, Acts chapter, Acts chapter 1 and verse 1 says, These former th treaties, O Theopolis, I'm writing unto you of everything that Jesus began to do and to teach. He's not done until you're done. Whom the heavens re must receive until the times of the restitution of all things, which God has spoken to uh, through the mouth of His holy prophets since the world. Since when? The world so since the world began, everything that's been spoken over the body of Christ since the world began is going to come to pass in this next few years. So this is not the end. Oh, how long is it going to last? I don't know. As long as you let it. You start talking to it right now and you command the devil to let go of your stuff. Tell him to get off your territory in the name of Jesus. What's my territory? As far as the sphere of your influence goes, that's your territory. For Moses truly said, come on. <laughs> no, but it says on, it, the heavens will receive him. That's my point. The heavens, Jesus went back to heaven for how long? Until the time, the chronological time of the restitution of all things spoken by every prophet. Is that, am I making that up or is that in your Bible? Is that what your Bible says? That he's not going to come back until the restitution of everything? Notice he didn't say he's not coming back until the destruction of everything? Yeah. Which is half of the church is thinking right now. Oh, rapture me out of here. Rapture you out of here. You haven't even done what you're assigned to do yet. He don't want to take home a, a broken and a beaten and a scared, timid little church. He said, I didn't give you a spirit of timidity, timidity, but of power and love and sound mind. It's time to, it's time to rise up. It's not time to lay down and quit. Amen. I'm done. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.